you got your pun? Mm-hmm. All right, well, go whenever. Are we on? Yeah. Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the ancient world, classical stuff, hence the title, and just books and, and, and things. Yep. We are three guys, and we work at a classical Christian school in Austin, Texas, called Veritas Academy, and my name is Graham Donaldson. Hi. And I am here with Thomas Magby. Hello. And AJ Hannenberg. Also here. And boys, uh-huh. it's kind of dark in here. It sure is. I can't really see anything. Uh. I just see like like flickering shadows mm-hmm. on the wall mm-hmm. from AJ's laptop. Mm, yeah. And those shadows look like... Like, I don't know, vague impressions of things. Well, I've never seen anything else. Yeah. So. <laughs> so how would you know? The the vague laptop flickers. Well, gentlemen, I, I'm here to tell you that I have gone to the overworld and I've come back <laughs> with visions of what could be. Wow. And I'm here to tell you that, that this shadow realm you live in is trash. It's all a lie? Wow. It's all a lie. Wow. Come with me to okay. the overworld. That doesn't make any sense. I think I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> um, I won't drink any more coffee now. Okay. <laughs> Worried that it's filled with hemlock. I don't know. Um, anyway, if you're wondering what the heck we're talking about, we're on book seven of The Republic. Fuen, fuen, fuen. We're making it, boys. Yep. How many books are there? Ten. Oh, Almost man. done. We're, so close. Trucking through there. Yeah. Book seven is the famous book. The one that I always think is book four, but it's not book four. Uh, book seven is The Cave, among other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite, though my favorite it's part just is that exploring a cave. Yeah, the for whole at least book. the last three books, all... Graham has been asking, "Is this the one with the cave?" So, anyway. <laughs> and now I know it is. And now here we are. Exactly. Yep. We're at the cave, boys. We are experts. We made it. <laughs> so, welcome to Plato's Book Seven of the Republic. And appreciate yeah, it. Appreciate we, it. Thank you. We, yeah, welcome everyone. <laughs> we made it. Yeah, mm-hmm. So good. glad you're here in Thanks. the cave. So it does begin yeah. with the allegory of the cave. Okay. It's probably. Would you say it's the most famous thing Plato's ever done? Allegory of the cave. Uh, the world of forms and all that stuff. That's well, that's still from this. Yeah, yeah, probably. But I mean, like the most recognizable, right? You say allegory of the cave, and everyone's like, ah, Plato, right? Yeah, yeah that's probably that's probably probably. It. Yeah. All right. So he just it's that starts right at the beginning of the chapter. Do we he need a recap of, from what happened in book six? Oh man, what did happen in book six? Dang, I don't know. Do you guys remember? You remember? Email us a class. Make sure to go back and listen to uh, mm-hmm. um, the, the good known since bright scene. There's. I think we got really confused at the divided line, and part of that oh. was because he goes on to explain it more deeply in this chapter and in the following chapter. I'm yeah, getting the divided conf- line had world of form stuff also, right? That was like the highest of those four levels that we talked about. We go from like individual things to i don't man i couldn't tell you i'm just getting it confused with thomas's love podcast on the marshmallow people but they were kind of similar in that individual people you love then like that teach you about love itself so right. it, is, it is similar to that well whatever book six was about <laughs> yep. we're, we're crushed it thanks for highlighting that i'm not wasn't prepared for a review gentlemen i appreciate that so, well, that was graham's I mean, question i just want to be real clear honestly yeah, this Graham, is like i mean thanks for throwing me under hey, the bus this is just what undergraduate philosophy classes are like everyone's like what was book, that book about? i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> anyway I, I mean i think it felt like a i'm just gonna go ahead and book boldly, seven. Say, it was a, <laughs> boldly say it was a transition book yeah, and that sure book was. seven mar- yep. matters far more yep. all right so on to book seven the allegory of the cave and he basically says let's let's show in an example how our nature is enlightened or unenlightened right so we're gonna look at what that feels like okay and so he says okay boys Imagine if you can't, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this as though you guys don't know the allegory of the cave. Is that okay? Yep. 
Are you guys prepared for that? Yep. Totally so I'm prepared. Gonna, I'm going to need you to, to act. be treated like I'm ignorant. There's a pause. <laughs> There's wait, wait for the wait for the reaction. Where's the reaction? I'm just kidding. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, what do you, you mean, mean like I do every day? Yeah. Uh, hey. Okay. okay. So I'm I'm gonna te- I'm gonna talk about it as though it's the cave, and I'm gonna need you to be surprised and odd gotcha. and interested in turn. I'm I, there. If I'm telling people who already know stuff, that's no fun. Okay, it's true, right? So he says, okay, imagine a bunch of dudes. Are you guys imagining the dudes? I'm, okay. I'm I imagining. Them. I see them. Okay. Whoa, they are in a cave. Mm-hmm. All right, and they can't turn their heads, so they're looking directly at a wall. Okay, right? They're just checking out this wall, and behind them is sort of a raised path, right? Okay. And behind that, and like... Like a dais? Well, a dais, there's, there's like a table and a princess. There's no tables or princesses, oh, okay. as far as we know. Gotcha. And, and sort of behind that path, there's a fire burning, mm-hmm. right? And so people are walking along that path. Mm-hmm. And so the dudes in chains, what they see on the wall are mm-hmm. just sort of shadows and reflections of the things that are passing in front of this fire. Gotcha. Yes. Right? And so when Got they it. hear a sound, the sound sometimes echoes off the front wall. And so they think that sound is coming from the shadow itself. Mm. Right, and, and that's all they've ever known, and so they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand whether, you know, the thing itself is on the chat. Like that's their whole world. You got gotcha. right. Um, so say one of these guys gets freed. Okay. Someone comes down. And he's like, "Look at all these dudes in trains," and he grabs one and he takes him out into the sun. Mm-hmm. What do you think his reaction is going to be? He's going to be freaking out. Right. His eyes will be sore. Oh sure, uh, he'll go blind from so much uh, light all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, he his eyes are going to be completely dazzled, Nailed it. and he doesn't really know what's going on up there. He's going to have yeah. a really hard time, and he'll he'll have to kind of get accustomed to everything above ground and okay. understand where where things are. Totally. But really quickly, he'll perceive his previous position in the cave was not one of truth. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Yeah. He'll see the fire. He'll see the people. He'll see the shadows, and be like, "Oh, that makes a lot." That's of what's sense. actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he gets out into the world, he'll have to sort of get. Before he can look directly at the sun, which was apparently the th- a thing they did back then, he will have to sort of get acclimated to everything and maybe practice by looking at reflections on water of things. And mm. then he'll, he'll get to like looking at the things themselves. And then eventually he'll be like, oh, the sun, that's where all of the light comes from. I got it. I, okay. I really got it. Understand. Kids, okay. don't look at the sun. Yeah, that. thank you. Yeah, if you're a youngin and you're looking and you're listening to this podcast, don't walk outside and stare at the sun as the source of all true good. Or, or anyone, no one, please, please, old listener, don't stare into the sun. It's an allegory. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> what? Is this the surprise? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, and and at the very beginning, he's going to be perplexed because he'll fancy that the shadows that he saw formerly are truer than the things he is now looking at. Right, the actual objects. Mm-hmm. But eventually, he'll kind of get used to it, and he'll understand real truth and then eventually he might decide to go back and free his brethren okay right so uh, a direct quote and when he remembered his old habitation and the wisdom of the den and his fellow prisoners do you not suppose that he would felicitate himself on the change and pity them right so he'd, he'd go back and be like hey boys you're staring at shadows man you gotta get out of here how did he get free in the first place Just somebody came and freed him okay one of the people walking on the path Okay. I wasn't sure if he wanted to be freed in the first place or if this was like forced upon him. He didn't even know he was bound. Yeah. Yeah. He had no idea. (gasps) It's his whole world. Speaking Um, of, they're filming the Matrix part four. (laughs) Thank you. This this all feels very Matrix right now. I I didn't know I had only been seeing shadows until now. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. The Matrix four will be the the revelation of absolute truth. And you're like, realize you're a battery. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't that already happen in Matrix one? Anyway. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's let's avoid the whole rabbit trail of the Matrix because oh, I could talk about that for a long time. Um, speaking of in Matrix, I you're doing was, this to yourself. <laughs> I know. Not, neither of us said anything. I know. You, you are doing I'm this. Doing it uh, in Matrix Three. You remember the the road scene where they're chasing the two weird no. blonde headed twins? No. Along the road and they're so like Matrix. Do, I think it was the second Matrix. Is it second? Matrix? I haven't seen the third one. They're like doing magic. Yeah. There's one part if you if you see there's a car that sort of like slides past the camera, overturned right. So on the top like this. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch it real closely, there's a dude in there with a with like a big old motorcycle helmet on. Oh, he's like a stunt double. So he's well, clearly it's a stunt thing, and there's like clear reinforcement of the car. They just forgot to go in and well, edit that it. out. Mm, so you yeah. just see a dude slide cross with a giant helmet on. Anyway, so back to what we were talking about. Okay, cool. So if he goes down back in there, do you think that he would be he would care very much for like the honors and acclamations of the people down there? Of course not, because they're talking about shadow honors. But, like, he spent a lot of time with them, right? Didn't they share cave space for a while? I don't know. Cave stories? Yeah, cave stories. I don't know. Do they do they talk to each other in this cave? Are they, like, friends? Yeah, they're probably friends, I mean, but cave, cave you care bros. what your friends think. Okay. But do you think you would care for such honors and glories or envy the possessors of them? <laughs> they're, they're who, like, oh, look at this guy. He can pick out the shadows the best. Do you think he'd be like, oh, nah, it's I really inferior. wanted that award, right? Probably right. not. Yeah, he's not, he's not really going to worry about it, right? And so he actually... Plato goes and he quotes Achilles here. He quotes Homer. He says, better to be a poor servant or to be a servant of a poor master than to, in, uh, and to endure anything rather than think they think and live as in their manner. Sorry. He, he actually stops the quote sort of in the middle of it. He only mm. does the beginning bit in the, in the Odyssey. So it's when Achilles and Odysseus meet in the underworld mm-hmm. and Achille- Odysseus is like, dang, man, you're killing it down here in this world of shades. And he's like, I don't know, man. The underworld's kind of a bummer. I would rather be... <laughs> anything on earth than the ruler down here. And gotcha. it sort of flips Odysseus's whole attitude on its head because he's been adventuring up until that point. Right. And he's like, oh, family, that's mm-hmm. what's good. Oh, right. <laughs> so the liberated woke cave dweller returns. Yeah. The woke cave dweller <laughs> yeah, returns. Seen the light. He's like, I would rather be anything in the real world than down here quibbling over the all the shadows. I feel like I remember philosophy undergraduates in college who had that disposition about being a philosophy undergraduate. Yes, that's what I'm... Doesn't this breed a certain kind of arrogance? Yeah. Being like, look at you marketing majors. Yeah, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even realize. You're it. just spinning your wheels, you zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. sheeple right, exactly. <laughs> okay, and here's, here's another oh, fun quote. And if there were a contest and he had to compete in measuring the shadows with the prisoners who had never moved out of the den mm. while his sight was still weak. Because remember, he's come from the light into the dark, and so he's, he's having trouble adjusting back, right, back to the darkness. Gotcha. And the time which would be needed to acquire this new habit of sight might be very considerable. Would he not be ridiculous? Men would say of him that, he, that up he went and down he came without his eyes, and that it was better not to even think of ascending. And if anyone tried to loose another and lead him up into the light, let them only catch the offender and they would put him to death. So they would call him, they would consider him a fool. Right. Yeah. He'd come back and they're it's like, not good for anything. you can't see shadows worth a darn. Right. And yeah, then yeah. if anybody came and was like, hey, let's take another person out. They're like, yeah, you're not going to ruin another one of our shadow lookers. So <laughs> heck to you. And they would kill the guy. Oh, wait, this escalated. Yeah. Why, why murder? They're going to murder the guy. Yeah, well, they don't want him fiddling with people who can see shadows reasonably Hmm. and then bringing him back down completely busted. Yeah. Right? They think he's blinding him. Right? So do you guys see the uh, illusion here? Who are we alluding to? Socrates. 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 And then, yeah, the corruption of the youth. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Socrates came and he was trying to give everybody philosophy and they're like, ah, you're messing them all up and they're good for nothing and we're going to kill you now. Yeah. But aren't they, I don't know, they're kind of right that, the, so Plato will paint it as if Socrates did not actually corrupt the youth, but they were taken off their paths to being successful uh, politicians and business people. I don't know. Like there is something to the person who is blinded by real light no longer is useful for shadow counting in this metaphor. I don't know. There's something to it, isn't there? Wait, that, that he makes them useless? Yeah, that they are useless in a certain way or they become useless in a certain way. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, they do. Which. Oh, know. we're going to get further into this. I'm so excited for today. Okay. It's just going to get better and better. Which right. doesn't seem like, I don't know. Would you want a whole, would you want everyone to go and do this? I don't know. Or at that point, would everyone be blind in the same way? And so, I don't know. I'm just trying to think through this. Of it. Don't you want the truth? Maybe. Probably. But like, again, Socrates didn't like run a farm or anything. So like, if everyone seeks the truth but doesn't make crops, do we mm-hmm. run into problems? I don't know. I'm just trying to think through this as we go through. Hmm. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about the usefulness and who gets to be philosophers and what happens to him as we go. Cool. So he he goes on and says, okay, let me explain the allegory. <laughs> and he kind of tries to explain it. We're going to skip that, but this is an important bit. He says, but whether true or false, my opinion is that in the world of knowledge, the idea of good appears last of all and is seen only with an effort. And when seen is also inferred to be the universal author of all things beautiful and right, parent of light and of the Lord of light in this visible, and the Lord, yeah, and of the Lord of light in this visible world and the immediate source of reason and truth in the intellectual. And that this is the power upon which he would, he who would act rationally either in public or private life must have his eyes fixed. So the good is the author of all. That's what Plato says. Okay. And once you see it, everything else is rightly ordered. Everything else sort of falls in line. So it's a benevolence. The people who are looking at shadows and sort of thinking about what these shadows could be, because the philosopher, because the guy who got out of the cave knows that the whole thing is a bit of a sham, he wants to go back to free them out of a goodness, out of because he's seen the good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the important takeaway here is that. Plato, Plato locates the very source of all knowledge and all goodness in one point, knowing the good. Gotcha. Right? So if you, if you can confidently say, this is what is good, this is clearly the good thing, then that should order everything else in your life. And if you, if you can't say it, like, Graham, if I ask you what is good mm-hmm. and you can't say it, mm. that means that anything you're doing is foolish because mm-hmm. you cannot tell me what is good. So even though the people don't appreciate the guy who, who leaves the cave and comes back seeking the good, it's still something to be pursued, still something to go after. Yeah, I think at this point we've sort of left the cave, right? Okay. So we don't, we don't have to tie that back. He's just saying, look, seeing the sun is the important thing, right? That's the most important thing of all and orders all the rest of everything else, right? The, the very light, the top, the center, the, the sun is what has everything else going for it. Even though that person will, even though people who don't also pursue that knowledge will want to kill that person. Or is that still tied to the metaphor? Wait, what are you saying? Say it again. Aren't there people who won't care about that knowledge? Yeah, sure. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think he's saying thus we should try to get everybody to understand it. He's just saying if you don't know what good is and you're trying to order your life, whatever you do is going to be silly. Okay. What do you guys think of that? Well, this goes back to what you're talking about, Thomas, like farmers. It seems like a uselessness to that person. I don't know. If we can't totally divorce this from the metaphor of the cave, because that's the centering metaphor, centering image of this book. So, yeah, if there's going to be a reaction against whoever has gone out to get that knowledge and they won't actually be effective in what they like, they're going to come back and try to free people but they'll be killed or um, exiled or ignored. Are they really effective in sharing that knowledge that they've earned? I don't know. Can you, can you be good or like a handmaiden too good without knowing good or having seen good? Like can somebody who's stuck in the cave still be working towards an imperfect good without knowing the sun? Did you choose the word handmaiden just out of nowhere? Yeah. That's funny because Plato uses it in this book. Oh, well, there are there are things that are handmaidens to dialectic, which leads us to the good. That's that's later in our conversation. Oh, but it just sort of seems like the the right word, right? Like you can be you don't really know like a handmaid. You don't really know what's going on. You are, but you're sort of obeying even though you don't have full knowledge of it. Right, because there must be people who better and worse see the shadows on the cave. Just again to follow that analogy, like there. There are some who see more accurately than others, even in the darkness of the cave. Yeah. C.S. Lewis talks about this when he talks about knowing good, right? When he, he had like a sort of a busted mor- morality, and then he got in with some college fellows who had a better morali- morality than he did. And he's like, it wasn't completely other. Mm-hmm. It was just better than what I had and had a semblance of. Mm-hmm. It's like when a kid tries to draw a wheel and then sees a perfect circle drawn, right? They're, she's, it's not that they don't know. It's just they don't know perfectly right yeah right anyway okay so he kind of moves into how do we get there how do we turn people's souls to the good away from the shadow away from ignorance by asking annoying questions in the city yeah, just square like soccer Wait, yeah. hey whoa 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 <laughs> yeah, dial it back uh, you guys are going too fast sorry like he says we <laughs> um the innate power to learn is already there right so we don't have to give them the the inner faculty of knowledge, because that's that's like divinely implanted and it's already present. With the innate desire to learn? Uh, the capacity for it. Gotcha. Okay. Power and capacity of learning exists in the soul already. So okay. we, can, we can leave that. We don't have to learn them to learn, I guess. Gotcha. Is right? this of everyone? Do we still have the different categories of people, the guardians and the... Yeah, and we're going to get to how we, how we pick which guys get to come up in the sun. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. All right. He does say that perpetual students are not fit for for this, right? Neither the uneducated and uninformed of the truth, nor yet those who never make an end of their education will be able to be ministers of the state. Not the former because they have no single aim of duty, which is the rule of all their actions, private as well as public, nor the latter because they will not act at all except upon compulsion, fancying that they are already dwelling apart in the islands of the blessed. Right, so we can't have people who are totally ignorant. We also can't have perpetual students because they're like, I've already arrived. I don't, want, I don't need to take part in this. Make sense? Yep. I, always, I just figured they didn't want perpetual students because they'll just keep, like... They never actually do anything. They never, yeah. Like, one day we'll have, like, a post-postdoc. 
program for people who have PhDs but can't find jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> can't you just go to another PhD? No, there right. you go. Yeah, We're just like a home, a PhD home for people to walk around and think. But he oh. says they they cannot be allowed to remain in the upper world. They have to descend. Mm. They must come back down. And then the guy he's he's talking with says, "Wait a minute, isn't that kind of unjust? Like, aren't yeah. we supposed to give them? Or isn't that giving them a worse life when they ought to have a better?" And Plato's answer is, sure, yeah, that's terrible. But remember, we're doing this for the state, not for the individuals. So we're going to take these people who have ascended into the sun and seen the true beauty and seen everything good, and we're going to drag them back down into the mire to run our state. You because... got you to work on trade negotiations now and, like, <laughs> organize the military. Yeah. Do sanitation work. Oh, man. Oh, man. You guys are so, so far ahead. Okay. That's actually part of the program is they have to do these menial tasks, but we're not quite there yet. Awesome. Okay. So why philosophers? He actually sort of reiterates why these guys are the best. The people who've gone up into the sun, then they come back down. And he says, the truth is that the state in which the rulers are most reluctant to govern is always the best and most quietly governed. And the state in which they are most eager, the worst. Right? Yeah, the Nevada primaries tonight, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Just speaking of. um, No, so he's saying that people that don't want to be the rulers are often the better rulers, and people who are clamoring to be rulers are bad rulers. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, exactly, because they're going to fight with each other. I can can give you another quote on this as soon as I take off my sweatshirt. Hold on, audience. I'm taking off my sweatshirt. (laughs) What strange visual commentary. Hi. Yeah, it's going to sound weird unless I said something. Sure. Okay. Pause. Wait. Okay. And we're back. So, yeah, he says, we we need them to come back. They are the best for it. Um, and basically, if if they're not a philosopher, they're going to want to fight to have their position, mm-hmm. right? If they are in love with the idea of ruling, then they're rival lovers, and mm-hmm. they're eventually going to end up fighting each other. But if nobody actually wants to be there, they're not going to be clamoring for higher and higher position. Mm-hmm. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If I if I don't really want to teach the class, I'm not going to fight another teacher who wants it. That's right. true. Right? But I'm going to run it well while I'm there because I'm a philosopher. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly, that's the way to do it. Okay. So the next question is, how do we get these guys? How do we pull dudes out of the cave? How do we produce them? What is the best way to produce our philosopher king ascended guardians. Hmm. Teach them. Hmm. Teach them to focus more on being rather than becoming. It's a, it's a weird distinction that Plato kind of throws in there a lot, being versus becoming. The being is stuff that is eternal and unchanging, and becoming is stuff that is transient and That's will like change. sounds like new age woo-woo. It really does. But he throws it in a few times, right? We have to turn the soul from becoming into being. I think in the last two weeks, we've con- we've accused Plato of being Eastern and of being New Age woo-woo. So I don't... Anyway. Or authoritarian, and then and he steals everyone's yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that one is true, but... Well, anyway. he's also free love, because yeah. everyone's yeah. everybody's mm-hmm. married to everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of weird things going on. We do like Plato, though, don't we? I like Aristotle eh. a little. Be- Bettle. Bettle? Better. Okay. Crashing it. Cool. Yeah. I like Plato okay. I think... I think he's got some pretty <laughs> crazy ideas. You spent seven weeks in... Hey, it's the foundation of everything. you got to know the Plato to get Great. to everybody else. The That's reason right. we can say something is woo-woo is because Plato started it all, right? <laughs> this That's nation why, is a republic, maybe. That's why we have retreats where people right. are going from becoming into being oh, man. <laughs> because... What is happening? Plato started it. Okay. Can you, like, force someone out of the cave? Can you, like, smuggle them out and throw them in the sun and say, behold? Oh, They're in, like, gosh. chains, right? I guess you can... 
break them out of those chains? Yes. Oh, man. You guys. Okay. So pause on that okay. question. Can you force people? Because that's a really interesting thing. Okay. Hold on. Uh, go learn math. I think we actually talk about that later. All right. So let's talk about the methods and, and whether or not we can force someone to do it later. Okay. But what is the method of getting the brain there, of helping them to realize the like purest truth of goodness? And he's like, hey, is it uh, gymnastics? <laughs> do you guys think that'll get people to the purest truth of goodness? Not the purest, but I don't know. You have a body and a soul, so you need a healthy body to get you closer. I don't know. What's the mensano in corpore mente, the healthy mind, healthy body? Sorry for butchering Latin. So there's probably something to that. Yeah, probably. Can you conceive of someone who has perfected the body yet not perfected the mind? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So gymnastics isn't necessarily there. It's not the one thing that's leading. What about music? You could run that same little question. You could think of someone who has perfected an instrument or perfected composition or music, but has not perfected the mind. Yeah. Are you saying they're they're focused? Would you say they're focused on becoming rather than being, Donaldson? I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But <laughs> it does mean that they they can have all of those, rather, right? They can understand the rhythm and the harmony and the music and still not understand what pure good is. Mm-hmm. What about the other arts, like painting and singing? I'm sure all of those... All of those things still apply. What about math? Huh. Is math purer than the rest of those? Mm. I guess there's like a theoretical form of math that maybe is beyond that. But math doesn't get into ethics. Unless you're utilitarian. Oh, woof. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yikes. Um, yeah, I don't know about math. I can think of like somebody, but the thing is like, what's the, what's the perfect math? Like if you think of someone who's perfected music, you can kind of conceive of that, but can you, I can't really conceive of someone who has perfected math. Statistics. Yeah. I can think of someone who's like really fast at math. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that the difficulty you're having in deciding whether math is right or not Mm -hmm. is is kind of nailing it because math is one of those things that will turn the soul to mm-hmm. the eternal, mm-hmm. to the, the world of pure ideas. And here's, here's how we get there. Now I'm going to read a section and you're going to be real confused. And then I'm going to kind of explain it the best I've can. Cause okay. I've read it several times. Cause this, it really is confusing. So ready audience, here's the confusing bit. Uh, I mean to say that objects of sense are of two kinds. Some of them do not invite thought because the sense is an adequate judge of them. While in the case of other objects, sense is so untrustworthy that further inquiry inquiry is imperatively demanded. And then the other guy says, you are clearly referring, he said, to the manner in which the senses are imposed upon by distance and by painting in light and shade. Clearly. Clearly. Socrates says, no, I said, that's not at all my meaning. (laughs) He said, then uh, what is your meaning? All right, so he gives gives kind of a, a little example. So, guys, if I held up three fingers, mm-hmm. is it hard for you to understand that those are fingers? No. It is not hard for me. What if they were charred black? <laughs> Probably Maybe. harder than normal. Okay. Would they still be recognizable as fingers? Probably. They're attached to your hand. What if I had painted them green? They're Same still attached to your hand. Charred. Yeah, they're still recognizable as fingers. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me whether my fingers are soft or hard? I mean, I can do it by understanding my own fingers. Are your own fingers, would you call them soft or hard? In places. What does that mean? <laughs> There's some bone The knuckle and some is flesh, hard yeah. and the, the like, below the knuckle is all... Is not. 
muscular. So yeah. you couldn't call them. You couldn't call them. Couldn't work it out as hand muscles. Necessarily purely soft. What about the softy bit? Is that is that the essence of soft? It isn't. No, I wouldn't say it's the essence of soft. Okay, so your fingers are not soft. They are both hard, hard and soft. They're. I, they're I guess they're. Yeah. Is, was this the part so you're where you're s- supposed to explain it? Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm, this is my example. Stay, stick okay. with me. Are your, um, fingers, are your fingers hard? Sure. Yeah, Would you I mean, say they're, they're the essence of hardness? No, no, they're not the essence of hardness. So they're not hard or soft? They're not hard or soft. So what are they? Are they jello? No, they're, they're, they're fingers. They're fingers. But you haven't told me if they're hard or soft yet. Are, what about, are they, are they grand? Are, would you say they're large or small? Oh, I thought you meant like in terms of... Uh, just, oh, yours are clearly grand. grand. Clearly grand. Yes. 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 I mean... What about large or small? Would you say that you have big fingers? No. Maybe? What uh, do you think? No. They are not large. Okay. Uh, they, they but they are, are neither, they are not small. They either. are average, yeah. average fingers. They're okay. not small. They're not like little stubbies. Well, compared to, say, Jupiter. Jupiter? Like the god? No, the, the, the planet? planet. Oh, they are or smaller. Are they, are they different? <laughs> they are small and small. compared to the planet of Jupiter. Yes. Okay. Uh, what about... Can they conceive of being large in reference to something else? Yeah, like mice fingers. Yeah, so there are definitely large larger than mice fingers. Mm-hmm. Mice yes. fingers, right? <laughs> okay, so here's here's that difference. There are some things where the senses is an adequate judge, mm-hmm. and you can just immediately say, "Yep, those are fingers." Are mm-hmm. there any more questions to have? No, no. they're clearly fingers. they're fingers. Right. But when you start getting into the world of opposites, mm. right? Other objects, sense is so untrustworthy that further inquiry is imperatively demanded. Right, I can't just look at that and say whether they're soft or hard. Further inquiry. I got to figure out what softness is. It's I got to figure out what hard is. Mm. Or in comparison, am I talking in comparison to something else? What is pure softness? Well, it's probably not your fingers. Are we talking like downy soft? Mm. Is that pure softness? Feathers? Is it where I don't feel anything? Is the essence of pure softness just air? Mm. Right. So now we've we've moved from basic sense to the world of pureness, right? Gotcha. We, we've kind of moved into philosophy. What is soft? What is hard? How, how do you define something as grand or small or big or large, right? So we've... But we're still in, in the realm of definition. Like we've just moved from finger, which is an easy definition, to soft, which is an abstract definition yeah. or hard definition. Is that, is that the distinction he's so, drawing again? So we've moved from, but we're still talking about a definition, right? Like the definition of finger, easy. You can point it, look at it and say, that's a finger. But we're still arguing or trying to figure out the definition of soft. So is it is it just like a different category of definition? Like if I'm thinking of common topics, um, I don't know. Or what's the difference between the definition of soft, which is hard to understand, versus the definition of finger, which is relatively Easier. straightforward? Well, that's the thing. I don't. I think that Plato is getting is maybe sort of, he, he's aiming at the world of forms, but maybe he's not giving enough credence to confusing fingers, <laughs> right? Uh, honestly, would you call a fin a finger? Oh, is a, oh. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog yeah, a sandwich. Exactly. And what about fins? What about prosthetics? Mm. Is it only a prosthetic or is that actually a finger? Like a prosthetic finger? If I hack off a finger, yeah, mm-hmm. and then replace it with a prosthetic, is that a finger? Mm. Would you call a wooden leg a leg? Isn't a fin a hand? Yeah, exactly. There, there you go. What's the definition of hand? So maybe he's not giving enough credit to the real world of definition, but I guess that parsing over definitions is what is turning the eye to things eternal. Mm. What is the eternal essence of softness? What is the eternal essence of 
finger. Right now, you just asked a question, a philosophical question about the essence of hot dog. Are we mm. are we philosophers now? Absolutely, <laughs> and everyone who's ever discussed that question is a philosopher. <laughs> Great. I've had questions. I, I've had. I've discussed whether or not you can sharpen a hot dog, and where does can. it go immediately to definitions? Okay. What do you mean by sharpen? Do you make mean make more sharp? Because you can definitely make a hot dog more sharp. Can you bring it to the quality of sharp? I submit that you cannot. What if you froze that hot dog? If you can freeze that hot dog, yeah. that's right. I, I still submit that the particles are too large to get a to get a fine edge, and it certainly won't hold an edge. But you've sharpened the hot dog by... I've by, made it more sharp. So you if you take the rounded top and yeah. even just like make cut little triangles uh-huh. out of it, you've sharpened it the, the hot dog. That's right. And this is why people hate philosophy, <laughs> is because we have stupid conversations like this. But that's what he's getting at, right? You're, we are trying to get to the eternal quality of what is sharp. And so we've turned our mind from becoming things that are moving around to mm-hmm. being things mm-hmm. that are and are eternal. Gotcha. Right? Okay, so he says math is this same kind of thing that immediately (laughs) takes you to the world of eternal. What does it mean to be one and singular? Can something be one and also eternal? Yes, right? I can have one orange, but that orange is also an eternity. I can divide it up into a bajillion individual pieces. I can continue cutting those atoms and then cutting the smaller pieces of the atoms until we have an infinity of numbers in that singular one orange. Right. And so we have to ask the question, like, what is absolute unity? Right. There's like a if, question. Like if Thomas keeps drinking half of his remaining coffee. Yep. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So we have to have There's these an infinite kids. amount of coffee in this cup. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So you have to have these kids learn math. And there, there's a section in here where he kind of seems to reference math that's in vogue at the time and other things. That's the thing about reading Plato is that he is working in a conversation that we aren't necessarily having where they're trying to figure out harmonics, right? So these dudes are putting strings on instruments and plucking them and trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, I hear another note above the first note. And then they're trying to figure out how many times they Hmm. can parse all those individual notes. Mm -hmm. We sort of take harmonics as an understood science. Nobody's doing that anymore. Hmm. Right. We know how many harmonics are there are. We know exactly what the waveform looks like. In fact, we can bend it one way or the other and do all kinds of stuff. But those guys were still working with it. And so let me read you the section about what mathematicians are doing. Um, I mean, as I was saying, that arithmetic has a very great and elevating effect, compelling the soul to reason about abstract number and rebelling against the introduction of visible or tangible objects into the argument. You know how steadily the masters of the art repel and ridicule anyone who attempts to divide absolute unity when he is calculating. And if you divide, they multiply, taking care that one shall continue one and not become lost in fractions. So apparently they were all about absolute unity. And if anyone's trying to divide one, he's like, oh, nope, no, 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 no. We're going to keep absolute unity as absolute unity and just stop doing what you're doing there. I don't think we have that same question. What is absolute unity? There's probably like in vogue math stuff, though. Yeah, there's got to be, right? But math by necessity, and have we talked much about Pythagoras yet? Nope. All right, math by necessity is the study of the mind of God, kind of. That's at least what Pythagoras thought. When they were discovering concepts about math, those concepts often didn't exist in the real world. Can we find a real triangle? A true, absolute triangle? No. No. Not really. It doesn't exist in the real world. Why not? It's a... You mean like a true right triangle, correct? A true right triangle or even a, a true perfect triangle, right? There's always going to be some little Wait, discrepancy in the edge. Why can't we for just right like... Tri- for right triangle, what he's meaning is that like literally exactly 90.0000 degrees in the right triangle. Like 
any triangle in real life will have some variance in that. So the Pythagorean theorem. Surely not. Surely there's some trees out there that just by lucky accident. <laughs> just nailed it. Yeah. Maybe, but we haven't found it. I uh, guess but is the, even with the tree, is the side going to be straight? No, there'll be variations in the bark. It'll be, it'll blow a little bit every once in a while in the wind, and then you won't have a perfect triangle. If I draw one with a pencil, even Wait, the pencil is going to be no variations perfect. in the side. It's right. not perfect. You're telling me perfect triangles don't exist in nature. Yeah. What? Of course That's not. That's what I'm telling you. It's bonkers. Do you think so? Well, because there's like no perfect. You're telling me that the, the angle of 90 degrees does not exist naturally. Not, not a perfect 90 degrees. Why not? Because it's so specific a number that it would be, it's just improbable. Maybe improbable is the better way to say it. I would have to look at every tree in the world to find one with a perfect 90 degree angle. Surely a fish swimming could like <laughs> be swimming in one take direction a sweet right and turn. then take a right turn, a perfect 90 degrees, and then take another turn and like have swum in a perfect right triangle. Nah, because that there will be some curvature in the way that he swims. There's no right. way. Okay. Any of the little <laughs> tiniest curvature. If you draw me a You're triangle me that every using single... straight edges, your pencil will leave variations in yeah, the line exactly. that mean that it's not yeah. perfect. The burden of proof is on you to tell me that all of the fish no, no, have ever swum. No, no, I think the burden of proof is on you to find me a perfect triangle. No, 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 at some point. And this is why people hate <laughs> philosophy. philosophy right. because, because of this. Yeah. But Pythagoras thought he was discovering the mind of God because he could discover these like basic principles. All triangles have 180 degrees. And he's like, oh, cool. This is what God has designed, right? And they could use it to do all kinds of cool things. And they would keep it under wraps. And they'd be like, I can tell you how tall that pole is by standing here and measuring angles. And it would blow everybody's minds out because he thought he was discovering like the core inner workings of the universe. Because they don't really like a straight line doesn't necessarily exist. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you've ever seen one. You've looked in a straight line, probably. And now I think we have lasers that are pretty dang close. But I think even then there's a little variation of widening of the beam or narrowing of the beam. It's hard to make it absolutely straight. Right? So. What? Graham is not sold on Gra- this. Graham's not sold. Now you're telling me straight lines don't exist Nothing in nature? Real. Yeah. Well, not not a pure line because a pure line doesn't have any thickness. Oh, my word. <laughs> what you're thinking of as a line is a rectangle with a very, very small width. Or anytime that you look out on the horizon, there's like a bend in that horizon. Like okay, never mind. Well, the earth Sorry. just keeps the earth, That's right. The earth just is keeps flat. going Sorry, straight. No, at some point, your eyes can't see as far as the earth as the flat earth continues. <laughs> wait, no, no, wait. This is not conspiracy theories. Anyway. Okay, so that's why we study math. Great. Because it turns the mind to questions about perfection and questions about definition and what is true unity and what are, what are all these things. And it immediately takes you out of the normal world of working with specifics. Does that make sense? Yes. He also says... As an extra bonus, math kids tend to be smart kids. Okay. So let's teach them math. <laughs> so the math kids are the ones that get wrenched out of the... Out of yeah, the, the math. Or whatever. Well, we want them to be math kids, right? And so if they have a mm. particular aptitude, we can see the potential for greater philosophical reasoning. Gotcha. So STEM has always been overemphasized in education. Is that... Okay, I cool. guess. Rock and roll. No, just the mm of STEM. Just the mm. <laughs> he says, and have point. you further observed that those who have a natural talent for calculation are generally quick at every other kind of knowledge? Cool. I have not observed that. I have not. So <laughs> nope. let's rock and roll <laughs> nope. with, nope. The, uh, nope. with the smart kids. Cool. Okay. What about like... I don't know. Like emotional... Nope. Maturity. It's fake. Or like the ability to sell me things. <laughs> or. Wait, what? What's that? These are survival arts. No, these are inferior goods. You say bravery? Yeah. It's like a virtue. It's not a study. No, but I'm just saying that like if these guys are going to go off and be our philosopher kings, don't we want more than just 
computational abilities? Ooh, yes, it's built in. All right, oh. so right now he's trying to figure out what is the, the order of our sciences? How do oh. we educate these kids? So why kids? do we teach English? Mm, we haven't brought English up yet. Well, I guess, well, why do we teach anything no except math? Yeah. All right, keep going. Okay, so that's not where he stops. He says, what about geometry? Right, that's a form of math. <laughs> and he says, well, geome- geometricians, geometricians, geometrician. Sure. Geometry people. people who know geometry right? tend to be too practical, right? They're all about, he's like, they're all about like building churches and stuff. No. Okay. And so it's good so long as we can keep them out of the practical and not all that church building and stuff. We got to quit that and okay. make sure that they, you know, we actually elevate it from just solving problems about where to put things and how to organize our war camps. And we actually get them to the consideration of the eternal. We're going to get conquered so fast. Oh my word. <laughs> Wait, this, this, uh, the, yeah, well, the, we set up our society with like our based our, on Plato, or yeah, oh, because because of our math people in charge being like we don't need to worry about <laughs> how our catapults are going to throw uh-huh. rocks. Uh-huh. Oh, that's where that's where we need the geometry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Okay, and then he says what? And clearly, the next one is astronomy. If we contemplate the stars, we're obviously contemplating the eternal, right? Mm-hmm. And Plato says, I don't think so. Mm. He says, the astronomers, I think you got it wrong, right? Whether you're pointing your eyes in the sky or the eyes of the ground, you're still considering the real material of the world. And that doesn't really get us to questions of the eternal. You've also skipped an entire science. So, so, so far, we've gone uh, gymnastics, hmm. right? We've mm-hmm. got gymnastics, music, music, music oh. the other arts, and then we've got math, yeah. and we have geometry. Yeah. And then he's like, astronomy! And he's like, no, 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 you've skipped a whole discipline. And the oh, whole really? discipline you've skipped is the study of solids. There's a third dimension in there that you are completely neglecting. Biology? No, just 3D solids. math. Well, just stuff. Arithmetic? No, that's not... Uh, that's arithmetic that's, is basic. It's, that's it's not like, geometry? Geometry is not... Geometry, I think now, as we understand it, would have been third dimension, but oh. I think they were mostly working with plane figures. Okay. So he's so talking he about says, like physics. Yeah, we oh. got to move up to like solids and the motion of solids before we start looking at the stars, you yep. ding dong. So, and he's like, wow, but how can we do that? That's really hard. And he's like, <laughs> indeed it is. We need to get some funding for the for the solid study. Wait, so his what? conclusion is physics. Is this what he's getting at? The study of, is the study of solids the study of physics? I think it's, yeah, the study, the study of solid math, Yeah. right? So understanding solids and how they work. Okay. Um, and then we can get to astronomy, right? And harmonics is kind of the last one. So astronomy and harmonics. This, I wonder, let's see if I can find my quote. Astronomy, we skip right past motion. Um, can't find the eternal truths in stars. Okay, so he has a certain attitude that I wonder if, people following Plato hindered scientific progress for a really, really long time. Okay, so let me read you this section. And will not a true astronomer have the same feeling when he looks at the movements of the stars? Will he not think that heaven and the things in heaven are framed by the creator of them in the most perfect manner? But he will never imagine that the proportions of night and day, or of both to the month, or of the month to the year, or the stars to these and to one another, and any other things that are material and visible, can also be eternal and subject to no deviation. That would be absurd. And it is equally absurd to take so much pains in investigating their exact truth. He says, the good astronomer can trouble himself about the stars, but he never imagines that it will lead him to eternal truths. Hmm. And so they are not worth troubling that much about. So the X-Files was wrong. 
Yeah. The truth is the not truth there. was not in fact out there. Yeah. But that's what I mean is that this whole bent of Plato's thing here has been saying we need to get kids out of the material into the abstract world and have them thinking in pure ideas because mm. that is what will lead us to absolute and pure good, right? Away from the material. Right? If we look all the way back to our allegory of the cave, in the cave is the material. Mm. Outside of the cave is the realm of of the intellectual, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we got to raise those kids out of it. Do you think that that attitude, get kids out of the material, has affected our scientific progress over the years? Maybe. Um, I don't know, but there's also a way in which like a theoretical mathematics is what you need to push math forward. Um, I have a friend who's um, in a PhD program at UT, and I was, anyway, I, uh, we were talking about like the, in high school physics, most of the equations you deal with assume a vacuum. Um, and so I was trying to ask it like, are those actually good equations? And his answer was yes, that for the level he's working at, which is space travel, you're in a vacuum. I get uh, like, it's a theoretical mathematics because here on earth, obviously there is, we don't operate in a vacuum, but I don't know. I think it can be useful to remove yourself from only the observable things that you would never know anything about Again, space travel with that example. You wouldn't hit first principles that you can apply to everyday things. Yeah. If you were only looking, you'd, you would be confined to situations on Earth, which are helpful, but aren't the only um, conditions. And if I if I focus too much on one specific instance and the airspeed and air resistance there, I won't have first principles to apply to other situations that right. have maybe to understand different. how different air resistance would impact some, um, how gravitational pull is different if you have different um, bodies pulling in different directions, um, all kinds of things like that. So I don't, I, I don't know. I don't want to overstate it, but that like those theoretical pursuits can be helpful to later practical pursuits as well. Yeah. And I think that's the point, right? Once we ascend, we can descend mm-hmm. back in and help. Mm-hmm. But math isn't the end all, mm-hmm. right? Math has helped to turn our soul from the basic everyday material to the realm of pure intellect, definition, and philosophy. The real end all discipline is dialectic, which is the discussion of pure ideas, right? That's what mm. Plato has been doing this entire book. That's what they're kind of getting at is just sort of pulling on ideas and moving forward. But mathematics is the thing that will turn us there. It will bring our souls from the things on earth up to the top, right? So we need to get to dialectic eventually. That's the point, right? He actually says, the guy's like, you're not surely regarding the skilled mathematician as a dialectician. And he goes, assuredly not. I would have hardly ever known a mathematician who was capable of reasoning. Okay. <laughs> so there's a nice little dig at mathematicians Ouch. there. But he says that that's, that's the end, right? We want to get to dialectic. All right. Do you want to give a little definition of dialectic? It's the, the questioning back and forth, right? Got it's it's okay. what these people have been doing the whole time, right? Talking about pure ideas to try to get at the very core. Okay. So like when we were going off on a tangent about whether or not you can sharpen a hot dog, we were doing dialectic. We were doing dialectic, mm. right? We are good philosophers. And that action is the highest form of yeah. <laughs> yep. of human endeavor. Yep. It's yeah. to talk about okay. hot dogs. Yep. Okay. I'm going to skip over some things because we, we've we gotten, I think, to the, the point of that. So I, if you think of this book, you can think of it in three parts. One is the allegory of the cave. Two is the ordering of the sciences, right? How do we pull people into the light? And then three is kind of like our educational program. How are we going to get that? Right? How do we get people to it? So, let's see. I need to get to the spot. All right. The first part is um, 
how do we begin to educate? Well, at first, it cannot be compulsory. We cannot force people to learn, especially when they're young. Hmm. So let me read you. Because a free man ought not to be a slave in the acquisition of knowledge of any kind. Bodily exercise, when compulsory, does no harm to the body. But knowledge which is acquired under compulsion obtains no hold on the mind. And the guy goes, very true. Then, my good friend, I said, do not use compulsion, but let early education be a sort of amusement. You will then be better able to find out the natural bent. So we shouldn't have compulsory education. Nope. We should never force education, especially when it's young. Huh. Or you could say it should be play-based. Okay. So, but with like You're an You're still eye. requiring the play though, right? Yeah. The, the goal is to have, like, help them have a good time learning right. math and be interested in it, right? Have it available for them, make it attractive, but don't ever force them to. And I, I kind of feel that because whenever I force kids to read, book, read books for my English class, they hate them, even if they're readers outside. Right. And so sometimes I've even had kids try to read beforehand and get to know the book before it's compulsory because they just don't have a good time when it's forced. Mm. So I wonder how far that should go. Right. How many kids would just not read those books if not forced to with the threat of grades? Um, That's the thing. I think there are people who would never read if they could possibly help it. Right. Is that. This is the, um, I forget the numbers, but it's the majority of people after graduating, I forget if it's high school or college, will never read a substantial book. Um, I think it's college. Thereafter, probably. Right. And it, um, so, yeah. So. But isn't the argument then it's kind of, it's always been that way and it's now just sort of embarrassing because we have compulsory education, but it's always been that way. That people don't read after yeah. they're educated. Educated. I'm using air quotes. Um, maybe. What's the distinction to say if it's always been that way? Well, I'm just thinking, like, what would change about schools if it wasn't compulsory? Oh, you would have fewer people actually receiving any form of education. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I think Plato is sort of assuming that there has to be an underclass in his society of people who aren't necessarily fully educated, right? Right. That just sort of don't get into it and they don't want to learn math and they go do something else and that's okay. Right. Right. Every, every sort of step in his educational plan is a culling of numbers, right? right. You have fewer and fewer mm. people get into the next stage. Mm-hmm. But he's just sort of doing the culling earlier, it sounds like. Yes. Just yeah. As opposed to doing the cull at 18 or at 23 well, after an undergrad. He's got culls then too. Yeah. So, but he's, but it sounds like he's culling like even kids, younger, right? little yeah. kids who don't want to go off to math. Right. Sure. I think he's just trying to make it attractive. So let's let's do the educational program then. So I'm going to sort of summarize some of this. But don't force it on the young kids. And they learn all the basic stuff, you know, like music and gymnastics and all those basic low things until about the age of 20. And at 20, they hit math if they seem apt, hmm. right? So if they seem like smart kids, we'll actually start to train them in mathematics. The training of mathematics lasts for 10 years until they are 30. So from 20 to 30, they learn mathematics, which would be math, geometry, solids, I assume here, astronomy, all those things. And then from 30 to 35, if they have, if they are like really with it, we can teach them dialectic, right? Mm -hmm. So 30 to 35 is dialectic. And there's one danger here. And he actually has a big, huge example about a rich kid who grows up with a mom and a dad and he's got all these flatterers around him. And then later he finds out that mom and dad aren't actually his mom and dad. Dang. And so he doesn't obey them anymore. He's like, well, heck with you. I don't know you people. And then he has way more. He hangs out with his flatterers way more. 
he uses this to say that when we begin to teach people dialectic, which is the questioning of absolute truths, what you might find is that they will rebel and they will realize that all of these things they've been taught to follow, justice, truth, beauty, aren't necessarily easy to define and easy to follow. And then all of a sudden their world comes crumbling down around them, right? That is always the danger of dialectic. I mean, that's true. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many philosophy majors have walked away from their faiths? A lot. Right. I knew several. How many ninth graders, like, justify their behavior based on, like, their inability, uh, based on realizing that adults have a hard time defining words? Or just use polemics to be little toots in classes, Yeah, yeah. They So once you sort of draw all of those things into question, you sort of cut the legs out of the the things they've been taught their whole lives, Mm -hmm. right? What is courage? What is justice? And so you have to be really careful to select the right sorts of people that won't do this, or at least help to guide them through and eventually land them at absolute good, rather than leaving them in this place where they've sort of questioned all things. Oh man, but I gotta do 10 years of math before I can like, get saying. to this? Yeah. Yep, 10 years of math. Years and I think it's before. funny that yeah. 30 to 35 is their rebellious phase. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, they could rebel and go crazy. And then by the years of 40, they're like, yeah, justice is justice. I don't want to do the whole arguing thing anymore. But there's always that danger that you lead them into this dialectic and they start to have problems. Um, from 36 to 50, and this is what you mentioned earlier, this is where they have to do the menial jobs, where they have to do like, yeah, 15 years, 36 to 50. They are doing politics, they're doing military, they're running, what was it you said? They have to like... Figure out sanitation sanitation networks. Yeah, figure out sanitation networks. That's their job from 35 to 50. Mm -hmm. And part of this is that we are bringing them back down into the cave, Mm. right? And we are testing them to see if they can resist the temptations of an everyday life. Gotcha. So we teach them what absolute good is, and we put them back in the world and see if they can survive it. And then at 50, if they've survived all of that, if they've distinguished themselves as good servants, good politicians, good social folks, then at 50, if they have done their due diligence, then they get to rule, Hmm. right? And they get to order the state. Hmm. And they get to do those laws that we have given them and make sure that everything is running smoothly. That is how we produce the philosopher king. Gymnastics, music, math, geometry, solids or physics, astronomy, harmonics, and then dialectic, bringing everything together. All of those things, that's why you said, I freaked out when you said handmaids. Plato says all of those exercises are handmaids to dialectic, Hmm. bringing everything together, every discipline and the world of ideas together into one and saying, okay, what is the one good that guides all these ideas? That's dialectic. And once we've given it to them, we send them back out into the world, right? We finish their education. And then if they do a good job at 50, they can rule, hmm. which is kind of interesting. And then that's how we should do student council, Thomas. You think so? Yeah, yeah. 10 years of math I don't want, and then. I don't want 50 year old student council <laughs> members. So, sorry. Okay. And then he's like, okay, well, how do we best begin this state? How do you move into, well, they've, they've pretty much finished, right? We've talked about the philosopher king. Here's our state. Here's everything. Here's, here's education. Justice. Here's education. Okay. Here's the whole program. And he says, well, how are we going to start? Well, here we go, boys. You ready for this? This is how you start a new state. Let's do it. They will begin by sending out into the country all the inhabitants of the city who are more than 10 years old and will take possession of their children and who will be unaffected by the habits of their parents. Thus, they will train in their own habits and laws. I mean, the laws we have given them. And in this way, the state and constitution of which we were speaking will soonest and most easily attain happiness and the nation which has such a constitution will gain most. So how do you start a new state? 
you ditch the moms and dads. You yeah. round up Seriously. the younglings. Yeah. Round up the Go younglings. Off to the woods. Yeah, you do yeah. a Pied Piper situation. Mm. Just take all the kids. Yeah. If you would like to start a new state, please email us no, at very. No, <laughs> no, don't want okay. that. The best thing is that this book, book seven, ends with. He's like, enough then of the perfect state and of the man who bears its image. There is no difficulty in seeing how we shall describe them. There is no difficulty, he replied, and I agree with you in thinking that nothing more need be said. And that's the end of book seven. Hmm. He's like, here, we're done. We did (laughs) it, boys. We have three more books. And then you look on the other page, book eight. (laughs) It's just not done yet. So apparently we have more to learn. Mm. But so three three parts. Allegory of the cave. Mm -hmm. Why... How how the sciences should be ordered, and then the program of education, how to get kids to the ruling place. And then as a little post post note at the very end, how do we start a new state? Well, round up all the kids. That's right. Get which them. wouldn't be creepy at, at all. all. Not nope. creepy at all. Any of you who have babysat, you know that by 10 years old, they absolutely have the habits of their parents. Mm. I don't know what he's thinking. I tend, like, ha- Plato had to have not had many kids. Uh, yes, that's probably true. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's it for me, boys. That's wow. book seven. So... I had students once, they wanted to eschew the modern life and live in the woods and start a tribe. Yeah. And they were like, Mr. Donaldson, will you come with me? Will you come with us and join the tribe? And I said, that sounds said, fun. No. <sighs> sounds, okay. sounds great. Cool. And they started like writing out names of students and our tasks. And I believe mine was like, I don't know, I had some sort of like ministry position of praying and... Did you tell them that they'd have to do math from 20 to 30? <laughs> That's what I, I should have. Yeah. And then, and <laughs> this is the only way I'll agree, guys, is if we end. institute math from 20 to 30. 10 years. That would have ended the tribe. The, the fun thing is that you guys have heard the, the, the life expectancy was like 40 way back then. Well, but, they would have been barely educated by then. Yeah, but that's the it's only reason. That that's, yeah. has nothing to do with them dying at 40 and has everything to do with mortality. Exactly. That's yeah. a misconception that people have about the ancient world. Gotcha. It's just silly. Crazy. All right. Well, so now we've come through it. Now we've got the perfect state and now we've got how <laughs> to uh, find the perfect leaders uh-huh. I think and how to, to educate them. Yeah. We need to talk to our administration and change some yeah, things about our school because yeah. I don't yeah. see any 35 year olds running around here graduating. And that's true. And also <laughs> goodness. our principal has not had 10 years of math, I don't think. And you, if he's ruling, you us, don't know that. But I would just be graduating, by the way. <laughs> just hit thirty-five. There you go. Well, now yeah. you're on your. You're welcome. You're now you got to do your menial Welcome tasks. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to go Sanitation do your. Um, well, this has been classical stuff. You should know. Um, if you have any thoughts or concerns or. <laughs> Uh, so everyone should be fun knowing. facts yeah. about Plato. You can email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. You can tweet at us at classical stuff, C L S S C A L stuff on the twits. You can find our backlog of episodes on classical stuff.net. And um, yeah, we appreciate, leave us a little uh, comment and a little, I don't know, review on the old iTunes. Although, on the iTunes, they don't show the stars anymore when you look. It's on the iPhone. Oh, yeah. I don't have that. Okay. Um, what concerns are you talking about? Oh, just like, like, I don't know. This um, episode was great. There's, there's no <laughs> concerns to be had here. Um, and um, and I, I just before the episode launched, I just happened to look at some of the uh, rankings. Boys, we are on the rise in the nation of Ireland. Oh, wonderful. So for all Good. of our Irish listeners, hey, I appreciate you. thanks <laughs> Thank for you. putting us at number 13 under the uh, book, the category of books, podcasts, listened to in Ireland. I know we were, so, I mean, we, were, wow. we were top 10 in Germany for quite oh, some man. time. Yeah. yeah so, guten anyway. Tag. Guten Tag indeed. Guten Tag. Um, and um, yeah, this is... Graham, Thomas, and AJ signing off. Signing off. Bye.